Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? Just uh, recovering from a uh, an eventful weekend, as it were. It was quite a weekend, uh, especially for our Penn State Nittany Lions, which I don't know about you, Matt. This is one of the weirdest football games, not just Penn State games, one of the weirdest football games I remember watching. Like It was just bizarre. Yeah, it was, and we'll get into the specifics here in a little bit, but it was very, um, it, it was the kind of game where what happened in the third quarter is is what can happen when a team like Ohio State doesn't put away chances, you know, and we'll talk about it. They could have been up 21 or 28 nothing. it felt like, at halftime. It was only 14, and it, you let a team hang around, and a, a talented team at that, and and shit can get weird, and it, it got a little weird there for a little bit. Damn, we're getting in on the profanity right away. I like it, Matt. You're usually one of the more conservative ones with that, so I'm a... Uh, uh, that saying doesn't work with, with the uh, this, uh, the PG-13 version, so we had to, <laughs> <laughs> we had to go all out. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, th- this certainly was a game that involved going all out. Like, I think if I told you going in... Uh, Ohio State would have the ball for about nine or ten more minutes. Uh, Penn State would have been the more penalized team. They, Penn State got outgained by nearly 200 yards. Uh, Ohio State converted two or three third downs, uh, was better on third down, had 12 more first downs. I say all that stuff. And you'd go, okay, Ohio State won this game by a million. <laughs> and then we get to the turnovers. We get into just all the weird stuff that surrounded this game. Of course, led to the Buckeyes coming out on top, 28-17. to 17. But it was still, an, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, it was still an effort that I think every Penn State fan can be really proud of. I think going into Columbus would have needed something really special out of Penn State. And I think this game illustrated that even though Penn State put forth an effort that was special and it got every break, it kind of highlighted just how good this Ohio State team was that they still managed to come out on top by 11. But what I want to do in this one is I want to kind of group the game into the first and second quarter and then the third quarter and then the fourth quarter because I I think that's probably just the best way to talk about it, and Matt, in the first quarter, uh, first two drives, Ohio State looks like it's going to, uh, you know, it's moving the ball at will, it's getting to do, even if it's not necessarily running the ball to the extent that they want to, they're still making plays through the air when they are able to break plays on the ground, they're getting it, Penn State's offense isn't able to do much. To me, I basically chalked this up to You know, this is just what Ohio State is on both sides of the football. I didn't necessarily, with two exceptions that I am sure we'll talk about in a second, I really didn't think Penn State necessarily did anything bad. I think it was just, we got a firsthand look at how good this Ohio State team is when it is clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, I think it was... um... The the start was we well the whole game was weird as we just said but the start was kind of what Penn State wanted I think they get the 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 poor kickoff they get the ball around the forty yard line they're moving the ball a little bit they get the one first down and then 
things stall out a little bit. And I was, and I think this is one of the situations where, where that you were going to bring up. I was okay with the punt on fourth and what four or five from the Ohio State forty-two or forty-three. Fourth and four from the Ohio State forty-two. Yes. So in my mind, it's the first drive of the game. You you can't sacrifice field position against a team that's as as potent as Ohio State. You have to. You have to think your defense is going to make a play somewhere between their own 10 and the goal line that's going to keep Ohio State from going right down the field and scoring. Obviously, obviously that's not what happened, but they had a couple opportunities um, on third downs to get off the field, and Justin Fields, um, as Justin Fields is known to do, made two great plays with his legs that kept that drive alive. Um, but I, it felt to me in that that specific situation like – that was probably the right decision early on. Don't give them b- the ball at, the midfield, at midfield where they you'll only need to get 30 yards for a scoring opportunity and they only need to go 60 to, to go up 7 nothing early on. Um, and then it just it felt like any momentum they had from that just kind of got sapped. I don't know if they went, you know, how many three and outs there were. Um, it just felt like after that first series where they were able to move the ball a little bit, everything that was working a little bit stopped and the snowball just kind of started going downhill. And up until they got that fumble on the goal line that kept it from being 14, nothing that kind of felt like a put their finger in the dam a little bit. It got, it, it stopped the bleeding. It kept them in the game on the scoreboard and it kind of just reset things a little bit obviously they end up going down 14 nothing they don't really threaten themselves what was it 65 yards of offense or something at halftime um but they they scratched and clawed and they made just enough plays to 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 have a shot and keep themselves in the game for that that wacky second half we're going to talk about here in a minute yeah i the first the first drive of the game like that was what i thought ohio state's Entire game plan was going to be it was going to be J.K. Dobbins uh, getting stuff on the ground. He had a gain of 22 and a gain of 15 on that drive, and then when Penn State is in a position where uh, it slows him down a bit, Justin Fields can make a play with either his arm or his legs. This didn't happen until a little bit later in the game. Uh, I can't actually I can't remember exactly when it happened, but there was it, it was on Ohio State's second touchdown drive in the second quarter. Uh, fourth and five, balls on the Penn State 26. Ohio State goes five wide. Penn State responds by having four down linemen and one person and one linebacker just in the box. And I was sitting on my couch screaming, take a timeout because they're just going to have fields run it. They ended up doing exactly that. They get the first down out of that. And I, I think, one, Ohio State... It deserves a bit of credit because on both touchdown drives and on uh, even on the drive where they punted, they were able to move the ball a little bit well. On the drive with the fumble, they were able to move the ball well. They were doing what they wanted to do, but what Penn, but outside of the two scoring drives, Penn State's defense was able to just make that play. There was the fumble forced by Lamont Wade, which how good was he? He was outstanding on Saturday. I have Bill C's uh, advanced box score up, and he had five havoc plays, three forced fumbles, two tackles for loss. 
best game that we've I think we've seen out of him in a Penn State uniform. And then on the drive with the punt, Penn State is able to get them quite a bit behind the sticks. They're helped out by a holding penalty. But second and 20, Yitor Grossmontos gets into the backfield and takes him down, takes down Justin Fields for a sack, and Ohio State basically has to live to fight another day. So I, I liked you mentioning um, Penn State, kind of, the fumble kind of being Penn State putting their finger in the hole in the dam. Uh, I thought that was another similar situation of the punt. The issue was more on the other side of the football where it's, I, I mean, you'll certainly agree with me. Penn State wasn't going to be able to run the ball in Ohio State unless something just completely wild happened and something completely wild did end up happening. Uh, and then through the year, Ohio State was very willing to say, listen, we're going to take away – if you wanted to throw four, five, six-yard passes to Pat Fryer in your fall game, God bless you. We will happily let you do that, but you're not going to end up winning this football game. I, I, I can't be – like, I wish KJ Hamler touched the ball more. Um, I wish they were able to get the ground game going a little bit more. I'm not too bummed out with what was going on with the offense in the first half because Ohio State really did just impose its Like, even if Penn State found creative ways to get, say, KJ Hamler the ball, I'm not convinced anything really would have been sustainable. And I hate making it sound like this, Matt, Sometimes you just got to tip your hat to the other guys. And when you consider that the worst effort that this Ohio State defense has had this year came the prior week against Rutgers when they did I mean, prior week against Rutgers in the beginning of the year against FAU, where they stopped caring after about the first quarter, it's too hard for me to be too um, disappointed with how the offense looked for the first half hour of the game. Yeah, and I think. You, you, you hit the nail on the head with Ohio State, their front four especially. Um, you don't have time to try and hit those big plays down the field. They were actually, I thought, took advantage of one of the couple of opportunities they did have, um, and the broadcast called it out. They took Chase Young off the field for a, a quick breath, and they hit Justin Shorter for an 18, 20-yard play down the field because they, they had time. They were able to, to hold the blocks up front. But for the most part, you know going in that regardless of what your game plan is with Chase Young, whether you're going to double-team him, whether you're going to slide a back over to help, or whether you're going to try and go one-on-one with him and get the ball out before he can get home, um, you just don't have time against that front four, especially at the ball down the field. And when you do, you've got a secondary that, you know, talent-wise, is as good as anyone in the country. You've got uh, Jeff Okuda, who's going to be a top-five NFL draft pick probably, uh, Damon Arnett, who's probably going to be a first-round draft pick, Jordan Fuller, who's at safety, who's probably going to be a first-round draft pick. There's just I don't well, I don't know about about the draft pick status for for Fuller or Arnett, but they're both really really good. Um, and when you do have time, those guys are going to be there in coverage. And you saw even when they were able to make plays, those guys were right there. And they you know you almost have to be perfect. And that's what they were on the couple plays they were able to hit downfield against that secondary. Um, I thought they did, for the most part, a pretty good do- job against Chase Young over the first 45 minutes. Um, look, a guy that, that that's that good is going to get his, um, and he did, um, especially late when Penn State got in obvious passing situations with a, a first-time quarterback playing, you know, playing his first meaningful minutes, having to throw the ball. 
but I thought they they did a, as well a job as anyone's really done this year, over 45 minutes against him. Um, I thought the line, for the most part, held up really well. You just, like you said, Bill, have to tip your cap to the other guy to some degree. Um, there aren't holes on that defense. I, I don't know. Um, you know, this is the most points that they're they've given up all year. You know, the FAU game and Rutgers game, not really. I kind of tossed those out because let's, the backups played so ex- much. Let's call those exhibitions. <laughs> I like that. Um, you know, Penn State put 17 points up against a defense that was giving up less than 10 per game. Um, and even that's generous because you're, you're factoring in those two exhibition games. Um, they they kept it within 11, which is way, which is 13 points closer than anyone else has done all year. Um, this game going into it, we all of us, I think, talked a lot about Penn State would need a lot of breaks to go their way and play a perfect game themselves. And even then, they probably are in it. And that's kind of what we saw. So I, when it came to like the passing game, there's a reason why, outside of the fact that he's the best tight end in college football, that Pat Fryermuth had eight, he led the team with eight targets, uh, and Justin Shorter had five targets. Like, Ohio, Ryan Day made it clearly in the lead up to the week that he thought KJ Hamler and Jahan Dotson were a really, really good one two punch of wide receiver. That's where Ohio State's focus was going to be. Uh, that's where Ohio State's focus was. And when you have a linebacker on Pat Frymuth, you're going to throw him the football, even though he had fewer than seven yards per catch. Uh, and Justin Sh- Justin Shorter had, you know, three catches, 28 yards, not a dynamic game. Uh, but he there was one incompletion to him. Uh, I want to say it was just Will Levis. Uh, there was one that I think Levis... He doesn't have an off-speed pitch, and Shorter's has some drop issues. So uh, there was one that I think might have hit Shorter in the hands. It would have been a tough catch anyway, and he dropped it, and I can't remember what his other target was. Uh, Before we kind of head into the chaos that was the second half of this football game, um, you mentioned the first punt that we saw uh, at a Penn State, Matt, happen on the New Lions' first drive, fourth and fourth, the Ohio State 42, the second drive. Uh, Penn State punted, but they were on their own five-yard line, whatever. Third drive, uh, Penn State has the ball fourth and seven from the Ohio State 36. They opt to punt there. Um, you and I kind of disagree on this. No, I, I don't think we do. I think. Well, I know. Are... I, I, we disagree on the first one. I was going to say, what are, where do you stand on the second one? <laughs> on this one, I think at this point in the game, you've seen that you haven't really done anything to slow down Ohio State, and whether they have the ball on the the 10, the 35, or the 50, they're probably going to move it on you. You're not getting a three and out. Um, they're probably going to hit a chunk play at some point in, in that first series of downs. And even if you opt to kick the long field goal, you cut you know seven to three. You're on the board. Um, I I think what ended up happening here is they kind of got stuck in no man's land where. They probably don't want to kick the long field goal. You know, that's a, what a 50-50 proposition at best, if, if we're being fair. Fourth and seven, you're going to have to throw the ball. You're going to, you know that that Ohio State's front four is going to tee off on you. I still think at that point in the game, you, you have to, to take a shot. Um, zero, zero, first drive of the game is one thing, but I think that's what, probably midway through the second quarter, you've moved the ball a little bit on that drive, probably to, to you know, 40 or 50 yards. Um and 
really, if I think that's an, was that a drop or, or was it just a, a, a an incomplete pass? But regardless, um, you've shown that you've been able to get those six, seven yard plays. You've been able to get the ball out quickly. Um, I think you have to to take your shot there to try and extend that drive. Yeah, I, the first one I I wanted them to go for it because what I thought was going to end up happening ended up happening, which is that. James Franklin knows that in recent years, Ohio State has kind of played this game a bit conservatively. Um, and his estimation was, one, they were going to do that again. And two, if Blake Gillikin can get it down inside the 10-yard line, they're not going to be able to go 90 yard, plus yards in the defense, blah, 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 all that. Uh, Ohio State ended up, you know, clinically 13 plays, 91 yards, getting the ball down the field. I, I, I understood kicking that punt even if I didn't like the decision. And that was kind of the same thing for the second punt. Um, James Franklin, I think, basically did the calculus that Penn State's defense is better than its offense. Ohio State's defense is better than its offense. Penn State's offense has a better job of stop. I mean, Penn State's defense has a better uh, chance of stopping Ohio State's offense than Penn State's offense has of moving the ball in Ohio State's defense. But... In either situation, my what I ultimately come back to is no matter what you're going to do against Ohio State, they're going to make you look bad. Like, nothing is easy against Ohio State on either side of the football. So, really, what is the additional 15, 20 yards of offense for Penn State I mean, what is the extra 15, 20, 25 yards for Ohio State? I just let that – you go for it. You play – like I saw some people saying you play to win, not you play to not lose or whatever. I think Penn State might have gotten – I don't think that's particularly generous. Like it's a weird situation. It's one of those ones that it's something James Franklin talks about a lot. It, if it works, it's good. If it doesn't, uh, then it's not good. But still, I wanted to see them be a little more aggressive. I wanted to see them go for it a little bit. Uh, and But having said all that, Matt, heading into the locker room, I, I think I tweeted this. If you told me it was going to be 14 to nothing at the half heading into this game, I would have, I, I would have been overjoyed. Yeah, I think it's, um, we've talked a lot, we've used that analogy or that kind of analogy for, you know, if you told me Penn State would be 9-1 and one going into Columbus, you would take it, you know, if I had told you that back in August. It's kind of the same sort of thing where your, um, your, your expectations change, but I think especially if you watch the game, you're, you're breathing a huge sigh of relief. Like, that could have been a lot worse. Um, you know, there's the fumble on the goal line. There was the other drive where Ohio State kind of had something going, and then um, had that that holding penalty that really, I think, changed the the, the makeup of that drive. Um, they were even driving at the end of the half, and there was, I think, a formation penalty maybe that kind of stalled that one out, and they ended up um, running the clock out at that point. So, when you are outgained and out, you know, the don't have the ball that much, and the other team runs however many more plays they had in the first half. And you're down just two scores, and just about everything that could go wrong has um, on the offensive side. I think you kind of you you run up that ramp to the locker room and kind of regroup and and figure out you know how do we get ourselves back into this. 
um, because you're fortunate to be where you are. Yeah, it's we need, you know, if we put two good drives together and our defense is able to uh, tighten things up, then we're in this game. We're not in this game. We're tied in this game, and that's basically what ended up happening. Ohio State comes out during the second half. They score on their first drive. I I actually got really mad. Uh, with the touchdown that Justin Fields threw to K.J. Hill, if only because we saw Trace McSorley and Deshaun Hamilton just destroy opposing defenses with that, like, slot seam route, and I, I you know, I just missed that terribly. Then the weird stuff starts. Uh, just looking at the third quarter of this game, Sean Clifford gets hurt. Uh, on a second down and nine play from Penn's, you know, right near midfield. Uh, he, he gets hurt on a weird play where he drops the snap. It bounces perfectly to him, and he has a wide open Nick Bowers, but he ended up taking a shot. He goes down. They bring Will Levis in, uh, and the offense gets a weird spark out of two things. One is him, and the other is that the Ohio State defense just can't – offense – just cannot hang on to the football. Um, I want to start by talking about what we saw in this half, I mean, in this quarter, uh, out of Will Levis. And to me, Matt, it looked like we saw that Ohio State, they had their game plan. They knew what to do against Sean Clifford, but they didn't really have an idea for when Penn State was going to just go full out 100%, we're just going to play smash mouth football. Our pal Matt Brown at The Athletic said Penn State fans finally have the fullback they've been clamoring for all these years. Penn State was just able to start getting enough room in the trenches, and they were able to start moving the ball on the ground in a way that they hadn't, and I think that really turned the game on its head for you know 15 minutes. Yeah, I think Levis's entry into the game kind of did a couple of things. I think it allowed them to run that that read option play, not so much an RPO, but the, the read option, where I think that's a play that Levis is probably a little bit more comfortable running than Clifford is, just probably, I'm going to guess here, from more of an experience perspective. And I think he's more of a, a natural runner to some degree, Um when he's not afraid of contact, he's just has is is more used to having the ball in his hand in the, as as a runner than Clifford is. Just you know, kind of the natural skill set sort of thing. If you want to think of it that way, he's physical in a way that he's going. Sean Clifford is not. He doesn't go down easily. He puts up a fight, but at the same time, while Clifford is able to do that, Levis is you know six foot three and. 230 pounds and he has a physicality about him that Sean Clifford doesn't because Will Levis just has this. It's not something that's normal out of quarterbacks. For sure. And I think so his, his natural ability as a runner, I think um, came into play. And I think the comfort level with him running that, that option play really started to, um, to, freeze Ohio State's defense, slow them down just enough for Journey Brown to find a hole. Um, and you saw it on, on his touchdown run, which was impressive in, in a number of ways. 
And I think you saw on the few passes that Levis did throw, which were primarily out of that RPO look, that read, that little hesitation was just enough to slow down the defensive line, just enough to freeze the linebackers in secondary to find an opening. And he did just enough um, in that third quarter to get Penn State right back into the game with with the help of some some timely turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I before we get to the turnovers, I want to give credit, one, to Levis for what he did, and two, that touchdown run by Journey Brown, man, I did not know he had that. It, like, the way that he was able to find the hole, he was able to hit it, he was explosive, he fought through serious, serious contact to get there. Um I don't know about you, and but I, he might be the single player this season on either side of the football who has surprised me the most. Like he is, we came into this year thinking Ricky Slade was going to be Penn State's number one running back, and for whatever reason, just hasn't happened. He wasn't with the team for a rules violation for this game. I feel really good about the future of the Penn State backfield because of you know, funny enough, because of the three star that they have back there, and not because of Noah Kane or Devin Ford necessarily. Well, I think it's it's a huge testament to what uh, Jawan Sider's done, both from a, a coaching perspective and what the staff has d- did in identifying Journey Brown as a guy to take a to, to take a chance on. Like you said, they've got a backfield full of the five star Ricky Slade and a pair of elite four stars and Noah Kane and Devin Ford. And Journey Brown is, has taken the position. It's not it hasn't been given to him, obviously, um, but he's risen above those other three guys. He is clearly the number one back at this point. And that's, that's a testament to him. It's a testament to the coaching. And it's um, like you said, it's, it's probably the biggest surprise as far as guys. We, ex- we knew people were going to have to step up, step up this year. I think, I don't think journey Brown was very high on anyone's list necessarily. It, as it turns out, taking a flyer on the guy that ran for 722 yards and 10 touchdowns in one game in high school might not be the, might not be the worst idea that you have, but even by that standard, again, he's been outstanding. Uh, also outstanding, oh my God, Micah Parsons and Lamont Wade played with their heads on fire in this one. Um, Wade forced that first fumble in the first half as Justin Fields is diving into the end zone. Uh, Penn State scores a touchdown. First play out of that, Micah Parsons forced a fumble against J.K. Dobbins, bounces around a bit, Lamont Wade falls on it. Penn State scores two plays later. Ohio State's offense then comes out. Uh, Justin Fields forced by Lamont Wade, recovered by Micah Parsons. Matt, we talked about how Penn State needed something, anything to go their way uh, in order for them to win this football game. There is not, there are few things that go your way quite as well as touchdown, fumble, touchdown, fumble. Uh, and then you get the ball at the opposing team's 35-yard line with a chance to tie the football game up. Yeah, I think it's um, it, it epitomizes what we were just talking about and what we talked about leading to the game, needing needing a couple of breaks. And they, the, the, to Penn State's credit, they they created those breaks. They weren't, you know, a poor read and a, a pass that got thrown that shouldn't have, but shouldn't have been thrown. It wasn't. Mm-hmm a matter of, you know, a, a botched handoff or something like that. All all four of the fumbles that Ohio State had were, were caused by Penn State making great plays. 
Um, and Lamont Wade forced two of them. Parsons forced one and, or did Lamont force three of them? I can't remember, but, um, those guys stepped up and made plays and in Penn state was opportunistic enough to fall on them. And I think along that same line of, of needing things to go your way, we said Penn state needed to kind of play a perfect game and that, that drive that ultimately in the field goal, they had journey Brown open over the middle and just couldn't make the play. It's, you know, a combination of Levis probably putting a little too much heat on it and uh, Brown not being able to pull it in. But that was, that was the shot. And and whether if they get to 21, 21, who knows what, where it goes from there. Um, but you, like we talked about with, with the fumble on the goal line for Ohio state in the first half, that field goal kind of was Ohio state putting their finger in the dam on their side, stopping the bleeding and getting their feet back under them. Cause I think after they exchanged uh, uh, a couple punts before um, Ohio state ended up with a short field again and, and got the final score of the game that, that really put it away. But um, they, they made the plays. This wasn't like I said, a, you know, a fluke, a fluke thing where they, you know, had the ball fall in their laps. They made the plays, they were able to fall on them and they capitalized on those. Um, and, and they had their shot. And I think going into the game, that's kind of all any of us were looking for was, you know, have that shot in the second half to, to, to make this interesting. They certainly did that. And, um, you know, if a couple plays go differently there, if journey Brown hauls in that pass, or, um, I think they had a couple of third downs where they had chances to make plays that just don't get, get made. And, um, you know, that's kind of the ball game in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, that uh, it, it was interesting. I was taught, I thought during the game that um, when that second fumble, that second fumble in the third quarter happened, it seemed to me like Ohio State and especially Justin Fields were just rattled in a way that I haven't seen that. Like, I obviously haven't seen every snap that Ohio State has played this year. They and he were rattled in a way that I hadn't seen them be rattled this year. Because in every game that Ohio State has played, everything that they've done has worked. Even, you know, they'll miss a pass sometimes, or Rush won't go for as many yards as they want, all that stuff. On the whole, everything Ohio State has done this year has worked. And this was the first time really at any point that I can remember this season where another team took it on the chin from them for a half or for any extended period of time and then said, okay, we took your punch. Now we're going to throw a punch or two of our own. And the, the their offense and, you know, to an extent their defense, to a different extent, their, I mean, a much lesser extent their defense, they were rattled a bit. And I think it's going to be, a very interesting what what if, uh, what happens if Will – I put that uh, drop by Journey Brown on Will Levis. I thought he'd just fire that in there a bit too hard. If that goes in for a touchdown, I was mentioned I, – I, I was talking with an Ohio State friend uh, who will remain nameless, and he and I both agreed that it looked like Fields especially – was rattled after that sec that second fumble in the third quarter, the third one in the game, in a way that I just hadn't seen before. And I'm if Ohio State's defense doesn't save them uh, and force that field goal, 
which, you know, Penn State had some major self-inflicted wounds on that drive, dropped by Journey Brown, then there's a false start on third and 11 from the Ohio State 12, uh, and then Will Levis with his uh, negative pocket uh, awareness, yeah, it ends up just getting consumed. Settled for the field goal. If that game's 21-21, and then on the next drive, Ohio State punts, I don't, you know, I don't know what Penn State does, but it's interesting to think that it's plausible that Ohio State is just rattled in a way that they hadn't been all year in a game where the other team has all the momentum, where it's heading into the fourth quarter, all that stuff. Having said that, fourth quarter rolls around. Ohio State gets the ball to start the frame. Uh, they end up turning to Master Teague in the backfield to start. J.K. Dobbins with the running play, and then uh, Chris Olave just goes up and mosses John Reed uh, for a touchdown to put it at 28-17. Then from there, Matt, did you ever really feel once that fourth quarter rolls around, and especially after Will Levis threw uh, the interception that ended up giving the ball to Ohio State, did you ever really feel like Penn State was going to get back into this game? Because it felt like once Ohio State got up by two possessions, I just didn't see the way that Penn State was able to get uh, an additional, you know, they needed 12 points to win, outscore Ohio State by 12 points over the remainder of the football game. I think they were moving the ball before the the interception that, that Levis threw, um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, I'm sure. That was, what, a 40 or 45-yard drive. Um, so they, they had moved the ball down the field. I think that was the driver Levis hit Hamler, um, just beat Sean Wade, um, speaking of elite defensive backs in Ohio State secondary. Um, just beat him with the throw down the sideline a little bit. And I thought if they had gotten points out of that drive, even if they just got a field goal out of it, it's back to one score. And we've seen in this series, the last four years, or three years, three prior years, that at that point, all it takes is one play. And they had already put some doubt in Ohio State's mind as far as or certainly Justin Fields' mind as far as ball security. And so I, I don't I'm not gonna say, yeah, if they get points there and they get it back to one possession, they're they're you know gonna tie the game, they're gonna take the lead or whatever. But I think they've they've got the shot that we've been talking about. And, you know, whether they whether they get take advantage of that shot or that opportunity comes, who knows? Um but as soon as that interception happened, I think that was kinda it. I th- you weren't it didn't feel like Ohio or Penn State was going to be able to drive the ball down the field twice um, in the final ten minutes or whatever it was remaining at that point to be able to to um, to get back into the game. Yeah, and the defense did a really good job uh, down down the stretch. I mean, they they knew as well as everyone knew that Ohio State was just going to run the football and try and run the clock down. Um, not the best decision that Will Levis could have made. In fact, I would argue that is the worst decision that Will Levis could have made uh, on the interception. Uh, and then from there, Penn State's offense just couldn't really um, get much of anything going. Um, you know, I, I guess what I'll, I'll I want to say to that is just mostly that you've got. I don't know what I was saying. I guess is if Penn state gets points in that driver, they throw the interception. Well, it doesn't play out exactly the same down the stretch, but as on Ohio state's last true drive, Lamont Wade forces the fourth fumble of the game, the third by fields. which real quick, 
What in God's name was Ryan Day thinking, having an already injured Justin Fields run like that? And like, obviously, some of that is on Fields. You have to know to get rid of that. But man, that was not exactly the best idea for a play in that situation. No, and and Fields makes a nice play after he gets sacked to avoid. I think it was Cam Brown was right there who had an opportunity to. To take to t- uh, pick up the ball and, and and go down the field uncontested, and if Penn State gets points on that interception drive, then all of a sudden that play becomes a lot bigger. Even if even if they don't get the recovery, all of a sudden they've got the ball, needing one score. Um, that that two score game under ten minutes to play just it didn't feel like short of a, a special teams play or a another big turnover like they were going to get that that last that second score they were going to need. Yeah, and there were. A few moments in there where Penn State had chances to do something. Obviously, there was the interception. There was there was a fourth down uh, to where Levis KJ Hamler had a step on whoever the defensive back was, and if Levis like it's a hard hard throw to make, he drops that in there instead of trying to fire it in there. He gives Hamler a bit more of a chance, but all that comes together. Ohio Sands was coming out on top, twenty eight to seventeen. General overarching thoughts from this game, Matt, for me, it's that I'm not, like, I went in expecting a bloodbath, so the fact that it was an 11-point loss that wasn't necessarily as close as 11 points would indicate, like, I was very happy that Penn State was able to keep it close, closer than they probably should have, and then I'm sure there are going to be Penn State fans who disagree with me, uh, but... I could not have been happier with how this team fought, Take with how it took a punch, with how it threw a counterpunch, and how it responded to everything Ohio State was doing, having to go to their back quarterback, all that stuff. It was a really fantastic effort by Penn State that I also think kind of highlighted that Penn State is a year is, as we've been saying, a year away, and this is an Ohio State team that has the potential to be historically good. Yeah, I think, as you were saying that, something popped in my mind that it's the first time I've had this thought, but going into the game, I had fear, for lack of a better word, of uh, of a Michigan repeat from last year. And really, if you if you kind of compare that game in, in Ann Arbor last year to Saturday, there's quite a bit of similarity where Penn state hung around the defense was, was making enough plays and then it just kind of got away from them. And I think if you want to think of it this way, there was some, some growth from 2018 to 2019 with certainly a different group of of players, but they got themselves back into the game. They made some plays that they quite frankly could not have made last year and, um, you know, kept this from getting totally out of control and I think that's a testament to to the the team itself. I think that's a huge credit to the the staff for for keeping these guys up. Um, being down fourteen nothing at halftime and being outgained the way they were, it's that kind of game where if you don't make a couple plays, all of a sudden it goes from fourteen nothing to twenty eight nothing really quick, and and the routes on and and even if you do get a couple turnovers, it's going to take a lot to get back into the game. And so I think it's a, a a redeeming quality of of any team to fight like that. Um, 
and like you said, Bill, I think it just underscored the 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 talent advantage that Ohio State has, and something I talk about a lot: the experience advantage. You know, you think when we did the the uh, the recap pod last week after the Indiana game, you listed off the depth chart, and it was you know seventy five percent juniors and seniors, and Penn State's got a few key juniors and seniors, but for the most part, it's a, a young, inexperienced team that's learning how to win, if you will. And you can be really talented, but what what you're seeing from Ohio State this year especially is when when talent and experience come together. And I think that's where, you know, if, if things break right for Penn State next year, you can see that same kind of, of mesh of, of elite skill and guys that have experience in, in a lot of situations and a lot of experience playing together. Yeah, and it's the, – the thing that I think about this Ohio State team, it's like you mentioned, everything just came together perfectly for them. I mean, even down to the fact that – I mean, as I was getting my uh, bearings about me for this game, I for this podcast, and I was looking into everything – uh, Manny Diaz announced that even though he's still on the team, Tate Martell's taking a leave from Miami. Well, Tate Martell was going to be Ohio State's starting quarterback if Justin Fields didn't fall into their laps. So when you consider the fact that Ohio State was going to have, it was going to have 22, I mean, 21 of 22 starters, you know, locked on really, really, really good football players. Um, all that stuff, and then it's one area where they weren't necessarily going to have an answer was at the position, the most important position on the field and something that legitimately could have hamstrung them. And instead of having to go with a guy that, again, moved to wide receiver for a minute at Miami, taking leave of absence, all that stuff, was the number two recruit in the country last year, that makes a huge difference. And it was just everything coming together for them while at the same time they were playing a Penn State team that I think everyone would agree to in terms of where the program is right now is o- is overachieving a little bit. Like coming into this year, everyone thought this was the rebuild year and next year was the year that Penn State was going to be able to go for it. Well, they were a they were one drive away from being able to tie up the Big Ten East play-in game. So that's just it says a lot about Ohio State. It says a lot about Penn State. Um, I think that we, with how many guys, Ohio State is probably going to end up losing next season. I mean, the guys we know they're absolutely losing. Two dudes on the offensive line, uh, Ben Victor uh, ben Victor, and K.J. Hill, Um they might lose their starting tight end, Luke Farrell. They might lose J.K. Dobbins. They're going to lose Chase Young. They're going to lose their entire starting defensive line, uh, at least one linebacker, uh, and then they're guaranteed to lose Jordan Fuller and Damon Arnett. There's just so much talent that is definitely leaving before the NFL draft game comes in that Penn State is going to be in this position next year not necessarily being the historically good team that Ohio State is, but the t- potential top dogs in the Big Ten East. And we saw in this game that they're not as far away from being there as you know, as we could have possibly thought coming in. 
And oh, by the way, the guys who were able to make the game-changing plays were the uh, crown jewel of last year's recruiting class and the crown jewel of the recruiting class before that. There's a reason for that. So hopefully the talent that Penn State has is able to kind of develop a little bit more this next offseason, which gets into kind of the last Penn State thing we're going to talk about, Matt. And I said this kind of facetiously, but I'm just interested in your thoughts. Um, Do we have a QB controversy in Happy Valley? I think right now, no. Uh, But I do have a bit of a caveat that I will add after you you say your two cents here. Um, No. I'm not sure I can say it any any plainer than that. Look, Will Levis came in and did a fantastic job in a tough spot, um, but you saw why he was the backup to the the ill-advised throw, the the bad read on the the interception. Um, He got away with a couple other throws that, um, you know, if if a defensive back is a hair quicker, literally a hair quicker, they – there's there's another interception or two so um he's a talented kid i think there's the potentials there but i think we all saw why why sean clifford especially when he's um at 100 percent or close to it is is the guy for this offense i i do hope we see a lot of levis against rutgers i whether or not he starts the game i that's basically going to come down to how healthy Sean clifford if sean clifford's not 100 percent, i would like it if will levis started and played most, if not all, of the game before handing it, handing duties off to Michael Johnson Jr., to Quan Roberson, or whomever. Um, and I think too, there's also um, it opens up more of the the look we saw a little bit against Indiana, where they they went to Levis in certain situations. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a spot for that in the offense, and I don't know how you work it in without taking your your big players off the field. But I think you know Levis has shown his ability as a runner, and in those um, you know, short yard situations, he's a, he's a weapon, um, in, in the right spot. And I think hopefully potentially this builds a little bit more confidence in the staff going to him in those sorts of, of, of opportunities. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that if Clifford is healthy, I hope he get. Healthy enough to play, I hope he like is only, only needs to be in there for halfway through the second quarter before they give the reins over to Levis. The one thing that I am potentially interested in, uh, I think Levis gives them the opportunity to do more stuff, and he is just it, it, in his final four. He gives them the opportunity to just do some stuff that Clifford doesn't because of his again size, arm strength, uh, athleticism, all that. I am interested in whether or not there's a there's more of an open competition for the QB job this summer. I don't think Levis would win it, but I think he would put up a good fight. I think that's something that would make Sean Clifford better. Uh, and if Levis can, again, we saw his flaws once he came in. Uh, he could be a little bit too willing, I think, to try and bowl dudes over and be basically a fullback. He has zero touch when he throws passes, uh, which that's something that comes with experience as does decision-making. Those things I think will get better with time. uh, And I feel really good for whenever he does eventually have to take over, considering that he has nothing but time between now and whenever that will be. Uh, But for, uh, for now, yeah, I don't think there's much of a quarterback controversy. And I think 
uh, Will Levis and James Franklin or Ricky Roddy would all agree with me on that. Uh, any final things you want to say about this game, Matt, before we go and talk about the Big Ten real quick? Uh I'm glad it's over because I was terrified of what was going to happen. Yeah, we really cannot stress enough that they did. Uh, they managed to exceed expectations. Obviously, the way they totally exceed expectations by winning this game, but I, I'm very happy with how basically everything turned out in this game, uh, with you know a couple of small exceptions. So. Focus on Rutgers. Uh, neither myself nor Matt will be on the Rutgers preview pod this week. So, Matt, if you want to just give a real quick preview, uh, I think Penn State wins by 100. Um, you do too. Okay, let's talk. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of a smart-ass response, and I, I got nothing. It, it is going to be very ugly. Yeah, I, if they decided to take out whatever frustration happened last week on Rutgers, this one <laughs> This one could end up being real bad. Uh, although Rutgers did have a really big win this week when they didn't hire Greg Schiano, so uh, good for them. Who? Oh wait, <laughs> I, I forgot what actually what ended up happening on the football field was funny. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, first game: Minnesota thirty-eight, Northwestern twenty-two. Gophers heading into this weekend's home matchup with Wisconsin in control of their own destiny in the Big Ten West and potentially even their Rose Bowl destiny. They win, they're going to Indianapolis, and they might lock down a spot in Pasadena. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch any of this game, but good win for the Gophers. And right now, Matt, if they're able to take care of business next week, as much as I hate to say it, I think they're headed to Pasadena. Yeah, I think the the possibility of a, a big loss in Indianapolis to Ohio state opens up the chance that that doesn't happen. But I think it's obviously it's, it's the big 10 West championship game. Um, you know, the winner of that one goes to Indianapolis to face Ohio state. Um, I, I've been, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, the Gophers have looked good. Um, I wasn't sure, um, kind of what to expect in this one coming off their first loss against a Northwestern defense that can be pretty good. Um, they kind of, they, they grabbed the, the bull by the horns right away and, um, and just kind of ended any doubt early on. Um, uh, Bateman, I think had three touchdowns. Um, Tanner Morgan, uh, actually played. He was in concussion protocol week and, um, no, just just a good win, and and if you uh, are like me and want to see Penn State go to Pasadena, you hope that is their last one of the year. Uh, correct to a Wisconsin team that won forty five to twenty four uh, against Purdue. They took care of business at home. Jonathan Taylor got uh, what's gonna what's probably is he a junior or a senior? I can't remember, but he's a junior. He's a junior. Still, I have to imagine he's heading to the NFL. Uh, 28 carries, 222 yards, and what might go down in front of his last game with the fans at Camp Randall. Uh, real quick, Matt, just what do you think is going to end up happening this weekend between these two teams? Because Minnesota-Wisconsin, that's, uh, that's a heavyweight fight that I don't think any of us saw coming. I, I think Wisconsin has a slight advantage just because of Jonathan Taylor. We saw it when Penn State played... Minnesota that you can run the ball on them. Iowa had some success running the ball on them and no one in the big 10 outside of Ohio state runs the ball. Like, like Wisconsin does. Um, 
And I think it's been easy to forget that Wisconsin is still a pretty good team. Um, you know, there's the Illinois loss and they got blown out by Ohio state the following week. Um, well, first of all, Illinois is a solid team. Um, I, we've come to learn that in the, the week since, which I think changes the, the feeling in that game. Um, this Wisconsin team, especially their defense was as, as dominant as anyone in the country over the season's first five or six weeks. And, I think they can do enough, much like Iowa did, to slow down Morgan and Bateman and the the Gophers' passing attack to the point where um, they'll be able to do enough on offense. And I think if they if they're able to run the ball like I think they can, they're going to keep that offense, that Minnesota offense, off the field enough to the point where they can, um, you know, kind of grind out a, a typical Wisconsin win. Um, but with that said. People have been say, have expect, been expecting that from Minnesota all year that you know it's the they're the, finally playing a real team exactly and I think they've even in their loss against Iowa they they had chances to make plays they just didn't make them late so take you know, lo- overlook them at your own risk but I I do think Wisconsin gets the win oh, Wisconsin's third in the Big Ten in points allowed third in yards allowed second in sacks. Uh, it's at Minnesota. That place is going to be rocking. They're gonna, they're going to be playing with their heads. You know, they're playing with their heads on fire in a way that we saw them do against Penn State when uh, they met up against Penn State in Minnesota. In, uh, Minnesota. But I'm inclined to agree with you. I think they're going to. Ha- Wisconsin's going to have a big game on the ground. Um, th- again, their defense is very, very. Good. That secondary is coached up well, uh, and I think it's going to be a really interesting chess match between them and those outstanding receivers uh, that Minnesota has. And I think they're going to come out on top. And you know, I'm obviously a little bit uh, biased in saying that because they they win. There's a I won't say good. I will say a decent chance uh, that Penn State ends up making it to the. Uh, to the Rose Bowl, I mean, obviously the AP poll and the college football playoff poll are different things, but currently Minnesota's in ninth, Penn State's in 12th, Wisconsin is in 13th. I think Penn State would be a 10-2 and two Penn State versus a 10-3 and three Wisconsin uh, is a little bit easier to justify taking the Lions than a 10-2 and two Penn State versus a 10-2 and two Minnesota. So we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, moving on, heading to uh, Bloomington. Michigan 39, Indiana 14. Watch a good amount of this game. Indiana is Indiana looked like a team that left it all on the field the week prior against Penn State and wasn't able to come out on top. And then Michigan, they're peaking at the right time. Um, I, I'm a bit happy Penn State got them when they did. But since the second half of that Penn State game, Michigan's looked really good. Shea Patterson and those receivers had a really, really good football game. Uh, but having said that, I don't think they're going to be able to take down Ohio State next week, Matt. No, I, I think the, the recipe is slightly easier because it's in Ann Arbor and not Columbus, but um, I saw none of the game, or I saw very little of the game um, on Saturday evening. Um, it, it looked like Indiana was kind of hanging around, but almost kind of fool's gold to an extent. Um, Michigan's going to, the recipe is, is what Penn state needs. They need Ohio state to, to turn the ball over, to, to make some mistakes and they need to hundred percent capitalize them on them to have a shot. 
Um, I'm a little surprised that the spread is only, I think, nine and a half last I looked. Um, I, I did an informal survey at the wedding I was at on Saturday night of a bunch of Michigan fans. And the, the closest I got to anyone thinking Michigan had a shot to win this game was, well, if you play this game 10 times, Ohio State probably wins nine. But if this is the one, and, and that's that's really it. I think that's that's the recipe for, for really probably the top three teams in the country um, is – unless they're playing each other, you need them to, you need to be the one in the, the, the nine out of 10 that they don't win. Uh, moving on, Iowa, Illinois, Iowa won this one, 19 to 10, Nate Stanley, 308 passing yards. Uh, I didn't watch a second of this game, uh, but I wish Illinois won because that would have put them in a very nice spot to end the year with eight wins and I would have found that very funny. I saw none of this, but 19 to 10 sounds exactly like the score of, of an Iowa Illinois football game. The game that a, a game that I find very interesting, um, a, a game that you were probably very aware of Matt Michigan state 27 Rutgers zero. Um, you hear that and you think, okay, Michigan state won blew them out, blah, blah, blah. You kind of expect more. And, and this I, I, this might just be me put, trying to put, like, I don't know, an unfair uh, bar for this Michigan State team. You expect them to do a whole lot better against Rutgers, um, but they just weren't able to, and I think that this is just the latest example of the Michigan State team that is marching towards the end of this season and just really wants it to be over. Yeah, I think this. I'm I'm looking at the stats here, and it, it Michigan State dominated the game. 25 first downs to seven, almost 400 yards to 140. Um, they held Rutgers to just 57 passing yards, um, almost two to one in time of possession. Um, short of points on the board, and I think um, Lewerke threw at least one interception down in the red zone. Um, you know, so that's at least three off the board. This was, this felt like you said, Bill, like we know where we can show up and get off the bus and win this game. Um, let's just, let's get to the end of the year. And, you know, th- they still need to beat Maryland on Saturday. Uh, I believe they that's will. at home to, to get to a bowl game, but this, this, it's going to be a very interesting off season in East Lansing, whether, you know, it sounds like D'Antonio intends to come back, but you know, what does he do with his, his coaching staff that, um, you know, for really two years on now has struggled to, especially on the offensive side, really form any sort of, of cohesive offensive game plan. Yeah, and this is something that you and I were talking about earlier, Matt. Um, I looked at the current Big Ten recruiting rankings, and I'm just going to read them. Um, we'll see if you guys can notice when I say Michigan State. Number one, Ohio State. Number two, Michigan. Number three, Penn State. Number four, Iowa. Number five, Wisconsin. Number six, Purdue. Number seven, Northwestern. Number eight, Minnesota. Number nine, Nebraska. Number 10, Michigan State. Um, that's bad. Um, this seems like a program that's really stuck in the mud. And like you said, I'm I'm very interested what happens with them by the t- once uh once the summer, once the winter rolls around and some decisions have to start being made by some people. Uh, speaking of which, let's talk about Maryland football. Uh, they lost 54 to seven to Nebraska, which regardless of how bad of a season Maryland is having should not happen. 
Um, we kind of got a glimpse of what I think everyone expected Nebraska to be this year, uh, even if they, you know, this win only put them at five and six and needing to beat Iowa next week to get bowl eligible. Um, but Maryland, it seems like they're in kind of. I had a conversation with a Maryland friend the other day. This seems like a program that's just, even considering that. Mike Loxley had to come in and do a whole lot of stuff. It still seems like they're just way too far away from everybody else in the Big Ten East, other than Rutgers, of course. And it's a it doesn't feel like that long ago, and it really wasn't probably, what, two months, where there were some nervous Penn State fans going into College Park on that Friday evening. And, you know, Maryland lost the week before against Temple, but the wheels have just come completely off. Um, they recovered to beat Rutgers the following week, but they, other than a a close 34-28 loss um, at home against Indiana um, back in October, they have not been within, I'm, I'm doing some quick math here in my head, I think the next closest result was the Purdue game, which was a 26-point loss. Yeah, I mean, and Ohio State got them 73-14. Nebraska, like you just said, by by 40-some points. I can't do that math in my head. Um I don't know, and I'm. There's been some scuttlebuck out there, so I'm not gonna. I'm not. I want to speculate because I don't know how much of it is actually true. Um, but Mike Loxley has has some off the field work to do between his roster, between his coaching staff. Um, there's, you know, I think some work that needs to be done with respect to relationships with the major Maryland and DC area high school programs that that are going to be the lifeblood of, of a successful Maryland program if that ever happens. Um, but they are just – we say the wheels have come off for Michigan State. Um, the wheels have come off, the gas, the gas tank's on fire, and the, uh, the fire department is, is miles and miles down the road with Maryland football. It's, it's funny because Maryland is absolutely not a team that should be losing they, – they sh- in theory, everything about hiring Mike Loxley makes sense. Uh, you get the CEO in there. You get the guy who's a good recruiter in there. You get the good offensive mind in there. Uh, you let him hire good coordinators, all that. But they got into they made a really bad hire when they got Randy Edsel. Uh, they then did what every SEC team has tried to do with Nick Saban over the last few years and uh, hire the a, a disciple of the big dogs in your division when they got DJ Durkin who just wasn't particularly great for them and then his tenure ended in a way that was kind of that no one could have possibly seen coming because it was just a horrific way for things to end Uh, there was the weirdness that was not hiring Matt Canada and deciding to go with Mike Loxley instead and now there's just this weird lengthy road and we're seeing how far they have to go down it to get to where they uh to get to where they need to be. But, hey, Maryland being bad, it's not a bad thing for our uh, fun football program that likes to go into that area and try and recruit the top talent to their university instead of the local schools. So, uh, sure, why not? We'll uh, we'll take that. Uh, any, any, any final things you want to say before I wrap this one up, Matt? Um, let's just say that... Maryland being bad under Mike Sloxley is hardly a surprise. I think I had a had a little diatribe on the subject 
um, on a, an off-season podcast when uh, we were talking conference coaching hires. Yeah, I I think I'd uh, I, I think I'd agree with you with that. But we'll we will. I promise we won't speak as much about Maryland on future podcasts, uh, at least until Penn State plays them next year. Besides, Maryland is a very good basketball team, so that's uh, that's where all the attention should be in College Park. But neither here nor there. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all the various – one of the various uh, podcasting platforms we're on. We're now on Spotify. Head there. Uh, give us a follow on there if you would be so kind. Also, head over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review over there. Uh, and make sure you subscribe over there while you're there, too. Uh, make sure you're following us on all our various social media channels. Make sure you keep reading and supporting the site. Uh, and you go out and you buy some shirts. You know, all the stuff that you're used to hearing from me on this point of the podcast. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.